Well, good morning, everybody. Question, do you sometimes hate to hang around church people? <laughs> That's a weird question from a pastor, right? True confessions. Sometimes I hate to hang around church people. Uh, here's, here's why. Here's why. Let me explain. Uh, like you, I've had my share of troubles, you know, family, personal ministry, stuff like that. When, when I share some of my troubles with some church people, not all of them, but with some of them, I find they're not safe. They're not safe people sometimes. I mean, it's disturbing to me that some believers feel like they have to have an answer for every problem that happens. And when tragedy strikes a friend or a coworker or a family member, these brothers and sisters, they're going to rush and they're going to, you haven't confessed. Or, you know, God wants to teach you something through this and uh, he wants you to help somebody else that's going to go through this later. Or, uh, you know, God's trying to slow you down. God's trying to redirect you. God's trying to protect you from some future problem or pain. Now, all of those things might be true, really. But... I think we ought to steer clear of the counsel of some people with, who speak with so much certainty about what God is doing in our lives because they're like Job's friends. They know everything. Or do they? See, often I find it's from the name it, claim it crowd or the prosperity gospel people or your best life now folks who want to explain to you why your life isn't working. I just want to ask, can we be spiritually mature enough? Can we be emotionally secure enough to just admit that when some things happen in our lives, we just don't know why? Our providential heavenly Father actually works in ways we cannot see. Can we just trust our Father? Can we just go ahead and admit that some of the things that have happened to us, some of the things that have happened to people that we love just don't make sense. See, stuff happens in life that's confusing. And I think some of us come to Christ and we think, well, now that I've come to Christ, things are actually going to go better for me. And so we think if I do A, B, and C, like read my Bible, say my prayers, go to church, try to do some good for some other people. If I do my A, B, and C, then God's got to do his X, Y, and Z. In other words, he's going to make my life pain-free and problem-free. And when that doesn't happen, we get confused. So here's the, the thesis for the day. I'll just tell you right up front. Understanding and adopting a biblical worldview can help us make sense out of what seems to be nonsense. If you have a biblical worldview, that doesn't mean some things are not going to happen that make no sense. It just means you'll be able to make some sense out of what seems to be nonsense. A biblical worldview. So we're in our sixth week of this series, Living New, and what we're doing is we're taking a look at how to bear the fruit of new life, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And here at CBC, we've kind of defined it this way. You can see it in the room. Beloved child, self-feeder, servant, investor, discipler, and missionary. And uh, we've been using a, a book like this. And we're in week six of this book starting today. And I just want to say it's not too 
late for you to jump in because each of the lessons kind of can stand alone. So we just encourage you, if you haven't been a part of this, get a book, get one in the foyer, and you can just jump right in to week six. And by the way, if you're part of the journey and you're behind, it's okay. God loves you. You're not a bad person because you're behind. What you can do is just jump right back into week six and just join the rest of us. And as I said before, my seminary professor in Greek used to say, by the inch it's a cinch, by the yard it's hard. So just, if you try to wait and do the whole week in one day, that's hard. If you just do a little bit every day, you can get it done. So jump in. Now today we're focusing on what it means to be a self-feeder. How to get a biblical worldview that enables you to be a better self-feeder. Why is this important? Why should we spend time talking about this issue? Because after all, the word worldview isn't even in the Bible. Um, well, let's start with what is a worldview. I looked it up on yourdictionary.com. What's a worldview? It says, a way of looking at the world. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what is a worldview? Well, you know, I kind of kept probing a little bit. Here, here it is. Everybody has a worldview, even if you don't know what it is, you have one. It's a basic set of presuppositions, values, beliefs, viewpoints, and philosophies that we embrace in order to function in life and try to make sense of what's happening to us and what's happening around us. Now, we all have a worldview. Now, here's the bad news. We tend to adopt pieces and parts of a wide variety of worldviews into something called syncretism. We synthesize a wide variety of worldviews and make up our own. We adopt a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, what mama said, what daddy taught, what the coach, the teacher, the professor, the boss believed. And then we drink in the media, the internet, magazines, TV, movies, and all of that. And we adopt parts of those worldviews. And then we have access, access to a multiplicity of worldviews. The Buddhist Hindu worldview, the atheist agnostic worldview, the secular humanist worldview. We mix all of that up and we add a little bit of the Bible and boom, we've created our own worldview. And is it any wonder then that our life doesn't make sense? Because we're adapting pieces and parts of all of these competing worldviews that are inconsistent with one another, and we're left dazed and confused. <laughs> so what do we do about that? See, most of us have adopted some parts, maybe even large parts of the Christian worldview, but maybe we haven't drunk deeply enough. And that's why life often seems to not make much sense. And it also explains why we don't have uh, the love and the hope and the courage and the strength as we journey through life. See, a lot of us are not aware that maybe we have suffered biblical worldview drift. How do we know if we've drifted away from the Bible? Well, here's the answer. When stuff happens in life, especially the hard things, and we get bitter, and we get angry, and we get joyless, and we kind of want to shake a fist at God, then we know we've lost a biblical perspective. So I want us to do something today. I, I want you just to not make this theory. I want you to make it personal, okay? So I want you to tell me what has happened in your life that has made you confused? What has happened to you that just doesn't make sense? And so I really literally want to hear from a few of you today. Just shout it out. Would a few of you just shout out what confuses you, what doesn't make sense, okay? Anybody? 
If you didn't hear that, he said the election. Can I get an amen? All right. <laughs> yeah, right. We all agree with that. What else? Wow, Alzheimer's disease. That doesn't make sense. What else? I was fired out once. You were fired from a job? Yes. Yeah. With five children. With five children fired from a job. Not now. <laughs> He's retired now. This is one of our missionaries right here. Yes. Emery Laszlo. What's that? The passing of a child. If you lost a child, that just doesn't make sense. Drugs, addictions, mental illness. Yeah. Somebody else said something over here. Human trafficking. And we could go on for a long time, right? Abortion. This is, this is heavy stuff. This, this stuff matters. This is where we live. So today I want us to limit ourselves to just four aspects to the worldview, the biblical worldview. We actually tackle more in this study this week. We're going to try to ask and answer four profound questions that I think will help us to make some sense out of the seeming nonsense that's happening around us. So here are the four questions. Where did I come from? What's wrong with me? How can I be fixed? And where am I headed? Question one, where did I come from? Now, how you answer that question will determine whether you go through life with a question mark in your heart or you go through life with an exclamation point in your heart. See, if you believe that you're the product of evolution, that you are here through a process called natural selection, then that will lead you to deep down wondering, do I have worth? Do I matter? Do I have value? But if you believe that you were created for divine purposes by a personal, loving creator, then that will lend you to have a sense of confidence. I do matter. My life does count. I have meaning and purpose. And that's when your life starts to make more sense and less nonsense. And of course, you know where this starts, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. See, you see, the biblical worldview actually rests in a story. And we'll talk about all the parts to the story. But it begins with God. A God who creates the heaven and the earth. A God who begins a story about himself. It's the meta story, the meta narrative. It's the big story. God is transcendent. That means he's beyond the world. And God is imminent. That means that he's acting in the world. He depends on no one for his existence. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And he's all good. He created the universe and he created us to live in it. And you can see this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God made you. 
You matter to him. You count. And then two words kind of sum up the big picture in Genesis chapter 1. And here are the words, very good. And you see that in verse 31. It says, and God saw everything that he had made. This is after he created people. And he said, it was very good. Earth is full of God's goodness. Everything worked according to God's intent. The world was made for humans to flourish. And, and, and these first people took care of the planet. They took care of each other. And they loved God. Everything was very good. So where did I come from? Creation. God made me. I've been creating His image. And that changes everything. See, a person who believes in creation and then lets go of that and begins to hold on to evolution has adopted a worldview that really says we are nothing but a carbon-based cosmic accident whose existence is of utterly zero consequence. That's not satisfying to me. And there's something in my being that just says, no, we matter more than that. Where did I come from? See, a biblical worldview matters. Let me tell you how it matters just day-to-day -day existence. Listen, you really wanted that job, but they hired somebody else. Those friends you trusted, abused your trust, betrayed you, and stabbed you in the back. Or you, you poured your heart and soul into some ministry, and you went through a train wreck, and you watched what you labored so hard to build up blow up. And now you're filled with doubt and questions and confusion. Do I matter? Am I beloved? Do I count? And maybe God has you here just to remind you, you were made by God for God. You've been creating His image. And as the old preacher once said, and God, don't make no junk. <laughs> See, He's not finished with you yet. And whatever's happening in your life might not make sense right now. The pain of rejection and betrayal is real, and maybe that's created some kind of an identity crisis for you, but if you know that you know that you've been made by God, then He can help make you, He can help make some sense out of your nonsense. Question one, where did I come from? Question two, what's wrong with me? <laughs> and what's wrong with the world? I mean, if I've been creating the image of God, then explain to me why my life is such a mess. I mean, you look at all, all around and you see the darkness in the world and you think, well, if God is good, why are things so bad? And if God loves me, why have so many painful things happened in my life? And how you answer that question will determine whether you go through life with confusion and, and problems and trials and darkness or whether you go through life with some kind of a coherent understanding of why the difficulties exist. See, God created us so that our actions really matter. We can respond in obedience to God or not. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree, well, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes 
and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. Adam and Eve. Too big of a bite, sorry. <laughs> I think that's the crunchiest apple ever. It's really good. Adam and Eve rejected God's rule, and we call this the fall. And because they represented all of humanity, their actions affect us too. All of us, through our attitudes and our actions, declare ourselves, whether we are saying the words or not, we're God's enemies. We rebel against God and His plan for our lives. And so this rebellion results in uh, physical death and spiritual death and separation from God forever and ever. See, if you don't understand the fall, then you may be tempted to believe things aren't really that bad. <laughs> or that somehow things are going to fix themselves on their own. Or there's always somebody else out there to blame. But if you do understand the fall, you're going to expect people to act like fallen people. Your spouse is going to act like a fallen spouse. He or she is going to sin against you. You can count on it. And then you're going to be able to look in the mirror and you're going to realize that your own worst enemy is looking back at you. The fall explains stuff. The problems that you're facing, the difficulties and the trials, the hardships in this world, it starts to make sense, not nonsense. I mean, think about the world that we're in. We send our kids to school or to the movies and we're praying nobody's going to show up with a gun and start shooting. We don't wonder if there's going to be another terrorist attack on our nation. We're wondering when and where. Families of policemen fear that an execution-style attack will result in a husband or a daddy not coming home at night. And young black men are wondering if they put their hands up or they're going to be gunned down. The world is filled with problems. But the problems aren't just out there. The problems are right here. I mean, if we had to hear the stories of everybody in this room, we would hear from people that have been slapped by a mother, abandoned by a father, molested by a sibling, abused by a friend, and others have given birth to precious children only to hear your child has a brain tumor or a disability or leukemia. And listen, none of this makes sense. If God is good, then why is the world so bad? Why is life so hard? And what we've got to do is remember a story. We've got to be reminded that when God made everything, He made it very good. But we chose to rebel against God, and when we did, we sinned and fell short of His glory, and now the world is a messed up place. It's a catastrophe. So that fear you're living with, that hurt that you've experienced, none of it was ever God's intended plan. We fell, and that changed everything for the worse. We don't have to like it, and we weren't really designed for it, but we can expect things, fallen things, to happen to us and to the people that we love in a world that has been marred by and broken by sin. And if we live with that knowledge and just accept it as reality, as painful as it might be, it helps us make sense out of what seems to be nonsense. 
Well, of course we're going to go through trials and difficulties and hardships in a fallen world. Question two, what's wrong with me? It's the fall. What's wrong with the world? It's the fall. Third question, how can I be fixed? And how can the world be fixed? And how you answer this question will determine where you put your trust for the restoration of the human race and, more personally, for your own restoration. If you don't understand the rescue, then you're going to spend your time and your money and your energy trying to pursue an educational solution or a political solution or an economic solution to the problems. But the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. No school, no politician, no great job is going to fix the problem. And a lifetime spent in pursuing philosophical or psychological solutions to the problems of the human race is only going to end you up with cynicism and despair. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we learn about the catastrophic effects of the fall. And then we get a clue about the rescue, about the reverse of the curse. God tells the serpent, the enemy, these words, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, many Bible scholars feel like this is the very first reference to Jesus in the Bible. In other words, a woman will eventually produce an offspring, a child whose heel will be bruised by Satan a child who would eventually suffer temporarily. But that offspring will bruise not the heel, but the head of Satan and give him an eternal fatal blow. This is, this is Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus suffered temporarily on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He ascended to heaven. One day he's going to come back and he's going to deliver the full and final blow to Satan. We cannot fix ourselves, but God has a master plan. He defeats Satan, and he redeems fallen sinners in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself comes to renew the world and to restore his people. And, and, and maybe the best place to see us, or one of the best places, is in John chapter 3. Let me, let me read verse 16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Put your name in the verse. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but to save you. Verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. How can I be fixed? Answer, the rescue of Jesus Christ, the restoration by Jesus Christ, the redemption by Jesus Christ, the reconciliation by Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sins so we don't have to. He forgives us. And if you go through life understanding the rescue that has been provided by Christ on the cross through his death, resurrection, and sending his spirit to live in us, then you can live with hope that he can not only change individuals, but he can change communities because you've seen him change you. And maybe you're here and you've tried to 
change your life, heal your hurts, and calm your fears by talking to friends and taking their advice, by attending seminars and implementing best practices, or by reading books and developing strategies. But no matter what you've tried, nothing has seemed to work, at least not for long, and it doesn't make sense. Well, the world and your life stays messed up no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do. Well, I, I think we should continue to work hard through government, education, and economics, and health care, but we must never lose sight of the fact that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Government can't change a human heart. Health care can't change the human heart. Education can't change the human heart. Neither can job opportunity or self-effort. God is reminding us today, Jesus Christ is the rescuer. And maybe it's time for you to turn to him. Question three, how can I be fixed? It's the redemption of Christ. And question number four, where am I headed? <laughs> and how you answer this question will determine whether you can live with hope in an increasingly chaotic and catastrophic world. Where am I headed? Well, fast forward, way forward to Revelation chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, The dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear, every tear, every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be Mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things, all things, all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is true. Jesus comes back as King of Kings. And God has, through Christ, promised to renew the whole world. The Bible gives us a look here, a peek into the future. We're not done yet. The story's not over yet. We're headed here where King Jesus rules in perfect justice and harmony and hope and joy because he's a supremely happy king and he makes his subjects happy too. You know, by the way, I'm I'm having also, whoever said the election, problems. I'm having problems making sense out of this nonsense we call the 2016 presidential campaign. But I do know this. The person who is elected president in November won't be able to change Revelation chapter 21. Right? <laughs> I mean, this election matters your involvement in this election matters, but no matter who is elected, we'll still be able to sing glory, glory, hallelujah, his truth is marching on. We will get to that time and place where Jesus makes all things new and things are better than ever. That is where we're headed. And some of us need to just be reminded of that. You know that, but you just need to be reminded some things have happened in your life, they're hard, and you're wondering, where is God, and what is God up to? And I don't have an answer to that question. I don't have a good answer for the why of the hard things that I'm facing in my life. 
But I do know that we're in a story. We're in history. And you know what history is, right? It's his story. And it starts here with creation. It includes the fall. But it also includes the fact that we can be redeemed from the effects of the fall and we're in process to move to that place of ultimate restoration. Where are you right now in the story? If you're a follower of Christ, you're, you are here. And some of us are demanding that God treat us like we're here. Look, if you're here, you're kind of somewhere in the the midst of the story, you're in the midst of a mess. One of the reasons we love novels and movies is not because it goes straight from creation to restoration. We love the drama of it all. And, and we're here somewhere. Don't judge the writer. Don't judge the producer, the director, the editor, the star the composer of the movie, of the story, while you're still in it. Wait, wait till you get to the end and then decide if it's a good story or not. And I'm telling you, when we get to the end, we're going to say, Jesus Christ rocks. <laughs> Jesus Christ rules. There's a larger storyline that makes sense of the smaller storyline of your life. Your life fits within a larger plot, a plot where your futures will be restored. I mean, maybe you've just experienced a career setback. I mean, maybe somebody you love has received a tough diagnosis. Or maybe you've worked hard to get into that school or to make the starting lineup and you've been told no. And it just doesn't make sense. I just want to say, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Because history is not over. That means his story is not over. And that means your story is not over yet. And even though it seems like nonsense right now, you can still live in the midst of the story with hope and joy and passion and love. Remember, there's no testimony without a test. So keep waiting, keep working, keep watching to see the rest of the story, to see what God is going to do. I, I remember an old song from my childhood from the sticks of Tennessee. <laughs> by and by, Lord, when the morning comes and all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story of how we've overcome and we'll understand it better by and by. By and by, Lord, when the morning comes and all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story of how we've overcome and we'll understand it better by and by. I don't know if I didn't have rhythm. <laughs> if you didn't have rhythm. <laughs> yeah, right. Nate, you're not going to lose your job. <laughs> By the way, he and Megan just had a baby, and so did Amber Holmes and Matt. Amber Hale and Matt. <laughs> uh, yes, they all, they all had girls, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know... 
Living You, there's a section in here where we talk about what happens at the end. Let me just read a little bit of this to you. At the very end of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, a little girl, Lucy, speaks with Aslan, the lion, who metaphorically represents Christ. Lewis uses the conversation to give us some insight into the glory that is to be ours one day. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and so beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You know what he's saying? When we get here, and King Jesus is ruling and reigning perfectly forever and ever, we're just in chapter one of a story where every chapter gets better than the one before. That helps me to make sense out of the nonsense that I'm living in right now. Because it gives me hope and it gives me joy and perspective. See, the biblical worldview takes into account all the nonsense of life without minimizing it. And it leaves room for God to act in a way that makes sense of the nonsense. Toward the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the nemesis of Indiana Jones has dozens of choices of chalices. And he grabs a chalice that he thinks contains the substance of eternal life if he drinks it. So he drinks. And you've seen the movie, right? His face ages into a skeletal mass that crumbles into dust. And the guardian of the chalices says, he chose poorly. <laughs> yes, he did. See, when it comes to worldview, you dare not choose poorly. You must choose wisely. You must choose biblically. I majored in religious studies at Vanderbilt University over 40 years ago. We studied every major worldview. And during my sophomore and junior years, I struggled mightily with what my worldview would be. And because of some relationships that God had divinely planted in my life, namely a good friend named Al Baker and then my future wife, Mary Ann, because of all of that, I chose wisely, I think. I chose Jesus. I chose the Bible. And I can honestly say, 42 years later, Jesus helps me make sense out of my nonsense. So what will be your choice today? Will you choose poorly or choose wisely? C.S. Lewis was a professor at Oxford. He was an atheist. Long journey, he finally came to believe in God, but he couldn't bring himself to believe in Jesus. And one of his friends was J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings. Tolkien and Lewis were great friends and talked often about stories, talked about literature, they called them myths. And here's what Lewis wrote. Now, what Tolkien showed me was this, that if I met the idea of sacrifice in a pagan story, I didn't mind it at all. And again, if I met the idea of a God sacrificing himself to himself, I liked it very much and was mysteriously moved by it. Again, that 
The idea of the dying and reviving God similarly moved me, provided I met it anywhere except in the Gospels. And so Tolkien's challenging Lewis. He's going, Jack, that was his name. Why, why do you like the stories and the myths so much? Why are you moved by them? Could it be that you love these made-up stories, these made-up myths, because they are pointing you to the true one? Lewis goes on, now the story of Christ is simply a true myth. A myth working on us in the same way as the others, but with this tremendous difference that it really happened. Why do you love the novels you love? Why do you love the movies you love? You love the storyline. Something starts everything and it's good and then something bad happens and then usually there's a hero who sacrifices themselves to make everything go well and then there's a resolution at the end. The plot line is basically the same in all the stories that we love. Why do we love them? Because you were designed for his story. Your story makes sense in light of his story. And that's the story we need to tell ourselves. And that's the story we need to tell everybody around us so that we can make sense out of the nonsense. So don't try to ever explain to somebody why their troubles have happened. Let God explain it. Or not. Because he often doesn't. Instead, just invite everybody you know to new life in Christ by inviting them into his story. And as for yourself, read your Bible. Be a self-feeder. Fight biblical worldview drift. Because in doing so, you'll find that his story will make sense out of what seems to be nonsense. Now, why are you here today? Some of us, we just need to be reminded of what we already know. It's called renewing your mind. But others of us, Maybe you don't know Christ. You've never given your heart to Christ. You know, in your program, there's a little prayer that you can pray. It's on the screen. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe you made me for your purposes, but I've resisted your plan for my life. I've sinned and failed to recognize you as the Lord of all. I believe Jesus came to rescue me, that he died on the cross, rose again, so I could be forgiven and made new. I received Christ as my Savior and Lord. Please help me live in a way that honors Christ while I wait on our final restoration. If that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, I just want to encourage you to pray it today. And you know, you can tear this off and you can put it in the offering basket. Let us know. You can check the box. Today I'm receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. We won't bug you, harass you, but we would like to help you learn how to live in his story better. Lord Jesus, help us all. Make sense out of the nonsense. Thank you that you made us and that we matter. Thank you that you didn't give up on us as a result of our participation in the fall. Thank you that you sent a savior, a rescuer, a redeemer, a reconciler, Jesus, to die on that cross to pay for our sins so we wouldn't have to pay for our own. And thank you that we're headed to a final restoration of all things to that time when every chapter of our life gets better than the one before. We praise your name, Lord. So while we're here, in the midst of a fallen world, let us be people of light and hope and joy. 
Let us be people that make sense out of the nonsense. And all God's people said.